As Linda prepares to read this opening scripture, it is Psalm 37, those first 11 verses, and this is where the mistake is. Instead of delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, the more accurate translation is that God will shape, delight yourself in the Lord and God will shape the desires of your heart. Listen to these words. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Holy wisdom, holy word. The gospel reading, and I invite as you are able to stand for the reading, is, again, very familiar words about the yoke is easy and the burden is light. But hear the words now with the understanding of how our souls engage with God. Let's stand as you are able. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Soul. I would be interested if we had the time this morning to have you respond to that same question that I asked at first service and had them turn and share this with one another. What is the soul? Today I begin this series on kind of basic Christianity, but want to take it deeper and deeper and deeper to help us discover maybe that there are things that we can do. And and one of the things that we hardly ever talk about, believe it or not, is the soul, that which was at the very center. I opened the paper on Thursday morning and there was a picture of Don Cornelius. Do you remember Don Cornelius, those of us that uh, grew up in that time? Don Cornelius was the one who started the program Soul Train. And we heard that music this morning, and it just took me back to high school. And and watching in wonderment um, entree into a culture that I just wasn't that aware of. Although I remember at Lewis and Clark High School in Spokane, and, and being friends with so many for whom this show was definitive for them. But what I remember is that at the end of Soul Train, Don Cornelius always, always ended it with this phrase. He always said, 
We wish you love, peace, and soul. And as always, the voice just went deep and soul. Well, the reason his picture was in the paper last week on Thursday was that on Wednesday, it appears as though he took his own life. And that somewhere along the line, particularly over the last three or four years, Don Cornelius may have lost his way, maybe lost his soul. And I'll come back to that in a few minutes. We hear this word so often, particularly today. I mean, you hear of soulmates. But what's amazing to me, even as, as we look at business and business practices, more and more we're hearing the soul of leadership. One of the books that I've read now, I'm reading again for the third time, is The Soul of Leadership. We hear about the soul of an organization or the, the soul of business. And it continues to rise more and more into the verbiage of society. I remember not long ago, I am a Dan Brown fan. I love reading his books because it just pushes me so hard in my own faith. And when Dan Brown was um, the Da Vinci Code, and this is the one that I'm referring to today is the lost symbol. And he introduced me to a new science, a science that I had never heard of, noetic science, the science of the soul. And they proposed that, that there is something very real, very physical about the soul in each one of us. That not only is it there, but it has weight and mass. And they believe that after studies of people who have died of, of watching this inexplicable change in the body, that the body loses approximately three grams of weight at that point of death. And they're contending that that in itself is the soul leaving the body. What is the soul? I think we've heard over and over that it's the very essence of who we are. One of the books that I, that I really enjoy is a, it's a textbook. It's Charles Taylor's book, Sources of Self. And it was published by Harvard Press a number of years ago. And he asserts that within each person is a framework that identifies our nature something that deeper than conscience or even our minds. This is what he says. I define who I am by defining my sources for how I speak, where I am connected to my family tree, where I exist in a social space, the geography of the social stratus and function in which I live in my intimate relationship to the ones I love and maybe most crucially in the space of what orients me from within. In a place deeper, than those previously described. Some would call it spirit, he says, or that which guides how my most important defining relationships are lived out. It is often from this central place that we are able to separate ourselves from the negative sources of our being. It is from this place that we are able to even sharply shift the balance in our own identity, to dethrone the given and relate only to the community defined by adherence the good. Moving that direction, he says, alters our web of being and allows us to, quote, unquote, leave home, as it were, and gain death. He goes on to talk about how important community or village is around the development of each person and that it's when we can share that deep, that deepest part of ourselves, that, that source of strength that comes from even without us 
that we become even deeper as individuals. But always he contends that there is a force that helps us move toward the good, unless somehow that good is removed from each one of us. There's so much more that he identifies, and I've got one other quote in just a second, but, but it's interesting that what he uses in the midst of this book is very religious language. It's as though there is no other way to describe some of these elements. He talks about going from the surface to the depth, from our lower nature to our upper nature, and from ill health, even immature health, to true deep health and maturity. And then he describes in detail, but he says this as well. He said there's a craving from within, a craving inherent in each individual that they recognize the need for it. So friends, do you recognize the need for it? <clears throat> he says for being in contact with or being rightly placed in relation to the good. He keeps using this term, the good. I, I think it needs to be capitalized. And maybe if we removed one of the O's, you might get a better picture of what this is out of good. He says it can be satisfied as we introduce more and more order in our lives or becoming firmly settled in communities that help take us toward that deep, deep good. There's often significant movement between the yes and no questions of life and answers that come from this place. Where confusion sets in is when we become concerned about how near or far we are from that source. Yet where the power really exists is when we find clear direction for our lives and sources that keep us motivated toward that direction. It comes from a place deep within our true selves. We are, he says, because we are continuously changing and becoming, and we become stronger as we discover the direction to which we are to head as we engage that source. I've got to tell you what I believe he is defining in this textbook kind of way is God and a connection that can naturally happen if we engage God from the deepest part of who we are. You know, I'm always amazed at how little we talk about this. And I know that there are that, it, it, that I've dealt with this a fair amount already in the church, but there's a reason that I keep coming back to this place. I think it's partly led. We, we keep coming back to this search for meaning, or this, as, as Aristotle called it, this search for the unmoved mover, or Plato calls it the search for the first cause. This element that lay within us has been the focus for millennia as we try and figure out what that thing is. But what is confusing, I think, to many is that we talk so much about what it is that maybe what we need to do is shift and talk more about what it does, that deep essence within ourselves. But to get there, we have to first understand God. Understand God, at least what God is. So what is God for you? What is God? I will tell you, and I didn't ask my wife's permission to share this, and she's shuddering right now because I, when I start saying these kinds of things, she knows that I'm going to go into something having to do with what happens in the Beeman home. You okay? Okay, good. 
Over the past couple of weeks, we've had some interesting conversations, sometimes very deep, sometimes contentious. Yes, we do get contentious, even spirited discussions about what God is. They've been centered in the new closing song for this service. When it was first introduced, I don't know if you remember, because it was first introduced a couple of weeks ago by the choir, and, and I was standing in the back, and I looked at the words, and every time the word God should have been there, it was replaced by the word He. Now, let me admit something to you. I could care less. I shouldn't probably say this. <laughs> you started now. You have I know, I got finished. <laughs> For me, it is not about non-sexist language. For me, when I looked at that and I kept hearing us say the word he for God, what, what drives me nuts is that it's way too confining for this element. It can't be defined to a gender. It can't. And we talked about you know, whether this should be a big deal or not. And again, for me, it's not about this piece of it. It is more about this, this trying to describe God. And, I remember in seminary, um, one of my professors just kept saying that once you try and finish the sentence God is, then you've tried to define the undefinable. But we have to come to terms with what God is. So for me, let me just tell you, God is the source of all good. God is the constant that surrounds and moves in all that we are, and maybe even more importantly, all that we hope to be. God is in all things, moves through all things, and is constantly seeking to move all, including every single one of us, toward a greater good. Did you hear that? God is continually trying to help us seek balance, not only in our lives, but in the world. A balance that is absolutely impossible without God. That understanding then permeates even how I see Scripture, how I think about Jesus as that one in humanity that is and was the force, that force for good that came in flesh and blood. But if we see God as that source of balance, that source of good, then we look back at the words that Linda read. And let me paraphrase those a little bit. Psalm 37, trust in God, and that alone will help you learn how to seek to do good. Dwell in God, and you will find security. Delight yourself in the power of God, and here's that word again, and God will shape, shape the desires of your heart. Commit your way to God, trust this and this will be the result. You will live as God intends. And you will find balance, the same balance that existed at that moment of creation. And your heart will seek to bring that same understanding, that same balance, that same love, that same joy, that same hope. That's that we take those holy showers and bathe our insides and allow ourselves health. And it's not hard to do. How can we help it? I, I close with this. I, I just had some time with some friends from Southern California as he was up again interviewing with Microsoft. 
He happened to be here on that weekend, last weekend, where the sun was out. And I said, that's how it is all the time here. <laughs> the whole rain thing is a marketing ploy to keep people away. <clears throat> and it was amazing to listen to both of them, to Shannon and Michael and even the sons, the boys, talk about living in this place. And you know what he said? How could anyone who lives here ever not believe in God? But like so many other things, we don't see it after time, after a time. What I'm asking of you one more time is to stop in the busyness of your weekly schedules and just dwell in the awesome nature of God and allow God to pull those things from you and cleanse you this incredible source of all strength and of all good. And as you dwell, watch out because your life will change and balance will happen. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, help us delight in you. Help us spend time in you at the most fundamental places of our lives. We seek you. Help us stop in these Sabbath moments and not just spend time in you, but to notice all that is around us. But I ask that you enter into each of us this day in new ways that continue to open us more deeply to our understanding of you. All these things we ask in the powerful name of the one who did it the best, the one we seek to follow and we seek to emulate, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat>